Blog Talk Radio. Radio Hour, brought to you by the Eastern Airlines Radio Show and the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. We share the stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of the Karen Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern captain and producer of the show. We hope you will enjoy the stories we bring to you every Thursday at this time and join us in the conversation during the broadcast. Now, let's get the show in the air. Repa 27, you're clear to start engines. Hey, You're cleared for takeoff. Roger, Reaper 27. We're on the roll and requesting a straight-out departure. That's approved, Reaper 27. doesn't plan for the future, may not have one. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for you. Welcome back to another 
exciting Reefa Radio Hour. Our stories range from the sounds of the aircraft you just heard starting up, or simply stated, from the male wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, <clears throat> a.k.a. that's the Whisper Liner. By the way, uh, the airplane that we heard, uh, we just lost our announcer, but the airplane we just heard uh, take off was the Lockheed Constellation and, uh, with the uh, right R3350 engines, four of them, uh, probably on another successful Eastern Airlines shuttle flight. And as we like to tell the uh, our first-time listeners, you can listen in on your smartphone or you can listen to us, uh, the radio show, on our provider, which is blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie at C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Just click the start arrow and, and you'll be in the show. Remember, it must be at 3 p.m. or you'll be given the message that the show has not yet begun. Better yet, why not just do as many listeners do? Just call into the show at 213-816-1611, and this will put you on the producer's board, and all you have to do is share your comments. Join the discussion is to touch the number one. Actually, you don't have to do that because you you come in with your microphone open. That that uh, that just joined the fun. We have a, a new announcement to our added a new announcement to our Reaper Radio Hour broadcast each week. And when we become aware of our Eastern pilots uh, and their spouses' passage to the West on their final flight, uh, when we are given the names of our deceased Eastern pilots, we'll pay the honor. And uh, we do have someone that passed away this past week. Uh, usually Captain Jim Holder is here, and he he does the uh, uh, the obituaries, uh, keeping all of the membership of the retired Eastern pilots updated as to the passage of uh, the membership and the Eastern pilots. He sent one in, and uh, I'll read it now. It's ladies and gentlemen. We regret to inform you of the passing of retired Eastern Captain Charles M. Chuck Kendrick. That's Chuck Kendrick. Captain Dave Maynard reported that Chuck passed away October 1st, 2020, at the age of 83. There were no further instructions or information about the the services that will be held and usually if that is known, we will let you know also on, on this show. That was submitted by Captain Jim Holder. Now, Don uh, has not come back with us, so um, uh, we're going to have Mike Scott start the show off. Uh, wait a minute. Here, I see Don. Let me see if I can pull him up here. Don, are you back with us? We are back, Neil. Okay, it kicked you we off get, again. We got cut off again, yes. Yeah, we'll see if we can work this out eventually. I don't know. But, uh, Don, go ahead. I've just finished the uh, uh, reading of uh, Chuck 
Kendrick passing away. So back to you, Don. Uh, am I back on, Neil? Yes, you, yes, are, you Don, are. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Lost my place. Yeah, I don't know where Chuck Kindred was. I don't see it, Neil. Well, uh, 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 Mike, will you go ahead and and we'll see if we can figure this out. I'm very sorry. Sure, yeah. This is happening, but go ahead, Mike. Okay, uh, Don and uh, Neil, thanks. It's it's great that the radio show will honor all the Flying West uh, uh, pilots and in uh, in reefer I mean uh, pilots and wives and all that on future broadcasts as she just mentioned. Now, folks, let's sit back and enjoy some great aviation stories, as our producer said. Stories written by the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and of course Eastern Airlines. Stories printed in Reaper T and other publications. Today we have a few short stories our producer found on the pages of Reaper T. Harry, how about telling the listeners uh, what they may have missed if they didn't hear our show last week? All right. Thanks, Captain Mike. In our last episode, we heard the story by Reaper editor Captain Hank Foley titled Something of Value. Hank's day was made when he attended a Reaper luncheon in Miami and saw all of his old friends. This was followed by Reaper editor Captain Bill Malone's story based on one man's family radio series show back in the 40s and 50s. Next, our producer went digging in the mailbag, a great feature in the Repartee magazine. It was another great broadcast. What do you have to start today's show, Captain Mike? Well, Harry, do you remember the movie Driving Miss Daisy back in 1989? We will start there and then other great letters from the mailbag. Reaper editor Bill Malone writes about his Reaper magazine changes he put in place in his 15 years at the helm. Finally, an article about a special place is read to uh, as, uh, that many of us were not aware of hold such an important place in our airport terminals. Mr. Producer, do you have that driving Miss Daisy? In the 1990 spring issue of Repartee, Bill Malone writes this story. They're making a movie on our street, is the title. As one swings left off of Ponce de Leon Avenue onto Lawwater Road, the first thing one notices is a big sign stating that no through traffic is permitted and everyone bound for Emory University Complex is being diverted to Oakdale Road. Emphasis is added by the big policeman standing alongside the sign. Farther down the street, there is a flurry of activity with people patrolling with walkie-talkies and more police. At the intersection of Lowwater Parkway, a street crossing lane has been added. A huge circus-type tent has been pitched in Lowwater Park as a place to feed the cast of the movie that is being made here. All kinds of vehicles are parked on the side street. One is a kitchen facility capable of preparing the most exotic dishes. Another holds a complete wardrobe, and still another contains dressing rooms for the cast. Huge generators hum as they provide power for lights and other apparatus. Automobiles from the 1939 and 40s, all in mint condition, are parked along the street. 
The yellow line in the center of Law Water Road has been removed. No such line was there in the 1940s, and that is the era depicted in this movie. Druid Hills, and in particular, Law Water Road, is a unique place. It has not changed down through the years. The homes are large and were all built in the early 1920s. They are elegant and stately. Big water oaks line the trees. Azaleas, rhododendron, and dogwood trees decorate the big yards, with which encompass at least an acre each. Mrs. Tatman's house, just five doors down, is where you would expect Miss Daisy Wortham, the principal character in the movie, driving Miss Daisy, and played by Jessica Tandy, would live, and it is a setting for this memorable film. Both my daughter's home and my old 1949 Chevrolet pickup truck appear in the movie. The logistics of filming on location are staggering. For one thing, it means that the conditions cannot be controlled. The director calls for quiet. Traffic is stopped by the police. All along Low Water Road, the lawnmowers and hedge clippers are shut down. The command to stand by is given, then action, and finally rolling. Jessica Tandy, Tandy, who does not drive, begins to back the old Chrysler out of the garage with the safety chain attached to the front bumper. Everyone holds his breath. It looks as though this will be a take. Then a mockingbird alights on the telephone wire and begins his raucous sound, and the director, with disgust, shouts, Cut! The scene has to be scrapped. At mealtime, everyone is fed under the big striped tent. Jessica Tandy takes a rest on the couch in my daughter's home. Everyone hurries to recreate the scene. This is a moving story of the relationship that developed between an elderly, affluent Jewish woman and the black chauffeur her son has hired for her when she reached the advanced age which she can no longer drive herself. Bully, the son, and beautifully played by Dan Aykroyd, is a real sleeper in the movie because it is not a comic part, as Aykroyd usually does. The part of the chauffeur, Hoke, is done by Morgan Freeman, and he surely will be considered for an Oscar. Miss Daisy is fiercely independent and resents this intrusion into her privacy. Hoke needs the job and calls upon all of his resources and ingenuity to gain her approval. He's a marvelous character. You could never forget the memorable scene he performs at the mill when he tells them how to fix the freight elevator. He is everyone's grandfather. He does, he does what he has to. He is legitimate. Anyone who has an elderly aunt or mother would relate to this unique situation. What develops is a story which touches the heart. It transcends all boundaries. Be prepared to shed, shed a tear and don't miss driving Miss Daisy. Bill Malone. That was enjoyable.
great movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. And that Morgan Freeman has got up. some speaking voice. Yep. Yep, you're right. Well, uh, our next read is from the 1990 Repartee Mailbag. Neil, do you have something, Lars, for us? Hello? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, here we are. I'm here. Now, I found the button. (laughs) Uh, Don, Don, before you go, yeah, well, listen, uh, I remember when that movie was shot, uh, and Bill Malone uh, was flying, I think, out to Seattle or somewhere with him, and uh, he was telling all about the happenings on Lullwater. And, of course, in the magazine Repartee, uh, as when he was the editor for 15 years, uh, one page that started off the mailbag, which we'll hear a letter read that Don has just mentioned, uh, he had a picture of his mailbox with his address on it, with the honeysuckle uh, growing up along the post that holds the mailbox. And uh, that is uh, displayed on one page, and then, of course, uh, the letters that he received were publishing were published in the next several pages. But uh, Bill Bill was very creative, and and boy, could he uh, tell a story. <laughs> okay, Don, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I just uh, uh, wanted to hear about our next read from the 1990 uh, report. Okay. Let's see if we got one here. Think we do. Here we go. Yeah. And thumbing through the pages of the 1990 issue of Repartee, I came to the mailbag, and I reached in and pulled this letter, a letter from Hank Foley, who lived at the time in Homestead, Florida. Here is my annual report on the activities of the Eastern Contingent at the Tamiami Airport. Monty Chumbly celebrated his 80th birthday, and the whole airport joined in. The largest hangar, the Air Museum, was emptied of its warbirds and decorated with bunting and banners and big tables and lots of food and beverages. No one was overly impressed when Monty flew a new 300-horsepower German-built acrobatic plane, the Extra 300, it's called. After all, he flies most every day. But the crowd was floored when he made a speech. Repeat, made a speech. Not a bad one either. Too bad we had to wait 80 years to uncover a talent. When the new 1990 maneuvers came out for the compulsory competition sequences, I heard him say they were rough on the airplane. They didn't bother him, just rough on the airplane. Anyway, We all agree that Monty is living proof of the old saying, the good die young. John Randall and I often fly in the early morning when the air is cool, clear, and smooth, and no traffic. Sometimes we seem to be the only ones aloft over South Florida. He always greases the Mooney on gracefully. I can't always do the same with the pits. Sometimes it ends up with bounces, skids, and lurches. Observing one of my more exciting touchdowns, John's comment was, Tell me, how long does one of those pit specials usually last you? 
One of our hangar neighbors has a beautiful Rolls Royce, and recently John had occasion to ride with him. As they drove along, the owner, with ill-concealed pride, pride, asked John if he had ever ridden in a Rolls Royce. John's answer was, well, never in the front seat. He never changes. As Nelda says, I don't expect my husband to be perfect, but I do get tired of coming out to the airport under an assumed name. Incidentally, I feel free to gossip about Nelda in this fashion since I've known her ever since we were the same age. I encountered Bill Friesner and A.C. Gilbert in TAC Air operations. Bill was giving A.C. his biennial. What tickled me was that A.C. wasn't even due one yet. He just likes to fly with Bill, and it was an excuse to fly down from Clewiston. That's the beauty of retirement flying. Purely and simply a fun matter. I tarried at the hangar apron while they cranked up the twin Comanche. The hum of those engines indicated some meticulous maintenance. I had enjoyed a Miami Reaper luncheon at Miami Springs Country Club. It's impossible for me to attend regularly, but when personally invited by J.B. Armstrong, an object of hero worship in, uh, in my younger days, how could I refuse? I wonder if any other fellows have the same sensation I have at a gathering of senior pilots. By some sorcery, probably a result of my Hibernian ancestry, the young man of 30 or 40 years ago keeps appearing in the place of the old-timer chatting with me. Old stories, old experiences, happenings of long ago, the mythology of Eastern's early days stir in the almost forgotten corners of memory. One of the first persons I spoke to at the luncheon was Gus Muirhead. Just as the rest of us, Gus has had his share of bludgeonings of advancing years. But after a few seconds in front of those clear eyes and strong jaw, I saw only the giant of a man he was when I was his co-pilot 45 years ago. I'm sure most remember Gus for the years of work he devoted to Alpha. But for some reason, recollections of layovers at the Henry Grady Hotel lobby. Since a camp was just a few miles out of town, there were often paratroopers at the hotel with their big boots and their trousers stuffed inside them, real swaggering macho guys. Also in the lobby was a young co-pilot, Lou Felvery. For some reason, a trooper insisted on remonstrating with Lou uh, in a belligerent manner. Lou, slight of bill and very gentle in behavior, took the abuse patiently. The irony of the situation was that Lou had been a pro boxer in one of the lightweight divisions and could undoubtedly demolish the trooper within moments. But true to the code of the professional against street fighting, he endured the verbal attack. But in a nearby chair, reading his newspaper, was Gus. After observing the episode as long as he could stand it, he strolled over, raised an immense paw, and poked a forefinger at the trooper's chest and said, Mister, you don't know... You don't know it's not nice to pick on someone smaller than yourself. 
The trooper looked at the massive hand on his chest, then at the shoulders like the side of a barn, then leaning his head back, gazed up at the ferocious jaw jutting out of him. He swallowed, blinked, then smiled and said, No offense intended, and left. And left. Strange. I haven't thought of that story for years, but shaking hands with Gus brought the memories flooding back. Ray Bussey acted as a sort of toastmaster at the luncheon and discussed the Iberian Peninsula, Iberian, excuse me, Peninsula and recipes of the bullfighting region. I was on the far side of the room, and being an aging pilot, my hearing is not so good, so I didn't hear the recipes too well, but judging from the interest shown, they must have been good. I suspect Ray mispronounced some Portuguese words because there was a good deal of laughter. But again, seeing Ray, the old memories came of the time of the engineer strike almost 30 years ago. One of the strikers attempted to engage Ray in a shouting match at the gate. Ray's response was, The law prevents me from engaging in violence with you, but if I were to choose a weapon, I'd choose grammar. Also present was good old boisterous Herb Smith. When I told a friend I had been speaking to Herb, the friend said, You mean listening to Herb, don't you? I recall the comment of a stewardess years ago. He's about as tactful as a hand grenade. If he wasn't such a damn good-looking pilot and good pilot, I probably would have thrown him out of the cockpit many times. All the old familiar faces brought back the memories. Hank Clark in his dry humor... Joining him near the bar, I asked, What are you having? He answered, I don't drink anymore. But I don't drink any less either. Scotch, please. Amid reminiscences of the good old days, George Wills remarked that he didn't miss the good old days as much as the good old nights. And there was Jack Lewis of catamaran fame, the boat. On one of his trips, a stewardess said to him, I hear you own an orangutan. (laughs) And Tom Lott, still remembered for his ground school teaching days, round and round the wonder grew that one small head could carry all he knew. Bob Mills and his bomber stories, D.F. Shepard and his wonderful classic cars, Jim Blaine and his deep, political discussions, Gene Dangerfield and the memory of wildest constellation flight with brain bags bouncing around the ceiling, St. Elmo's fire in the windows, engines sputtering, instruments unreadable, but Gene just working throttles, props, car heat, switches, just like Sunday afternoon. And of course, there was big Johnny Armstrong. Wasn't it J.B. that said, I don't want a co-pilot who says yes all the time. I want one who says yes, sir. I can't remember what was on the menu at the luncheon, but talking with the fellows brought back the golden days, those early days with Eastern. It almost seems as if the salary was just a fringe benefit. As the book says, 
there were giants on the earth in those days. Our profession was a proud one, admired and respected. To paraphrase, paraphrase Shakespeare and Shaw, back then life was no brief candle, but a splendid torch. They say old men sit by the fire and dream. Well, in Miami, not many people sit by the fire. In fact, most of the fellows I talk to don't do much sitting. But what's wrong with a little dreaming now and then? Hank Foley. Don, you're back with us. I'm back with you. Yep, we're here. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I over don't... Over the years. Oh, okay. Over the years, the retired pilots and friends of these letters to the editor of the great magazine, this, going back through the years of its publication, we hear many stories that will not otherwise be told, except through these letters. We're sure to hear more with each broadcast of the Repartee Radio Hour. You know, Don and Mike and Harry and Dorothy, uh, and, and Don, you and Dorothy attended uh, a REPA convention. I think it was in Charleston, wasn't it, or Savannah? Yeah, that's when we went to the uh, Boeing plant. Yeah, Charleston, yeah. And um, and it, that's th- this is one of the meetings that Harry writes about when going and, and seeing all the old guys, and that's the purpose, I guess, of a convention or reunion, is to uh, see the old guys that you used to fly with, and and uh, and he wrote the story about uh, his visit there, and he, in the story, some of the names I remember. And I do remember uh, Tom Lott. Tom, I taught him how to fly. He was a flight engineer, professional engineer back in the 50s, the early 60s. And and um, it was required when the jets came along that they had three pilots in the airplane. Well, we got a contract before I was with Eastern. I was with Tercer Aviation. And I think that's what uh, Hank was mentioning, TAC Air. Tercera Aviation Corporation, but I was their chief pilot, and we got a contract with Eastern to train all the flight engineers for their commercial pilot's license, and Eastern uh, paid the bill, those that wanted to return, because the strike was, was going on at the time. And of the first 25 that we received, Tom Lott was uh, among those. And Tom was a great guy. As a matter of fact, he was the um, uh, his cousin was Ob Bivens, Captain Ob Bivens. And I used to tell Tom every day I'd see him out at the field, out at Opalaka, where we were doing the training, and I'd uh, ask him if he had uh, if he could put in a good word about me with Eastern to his his cousin. Uh, Ob Bivens, and of course he did, and Ob hired me eventually. But um, it was great. So a lot of these stories, I kind of uh, remember some of the things that these guys mentioned in their letters, and they were a lot of fun to read. They really were. Well, I got a call right now, so 
Uh, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to go ahead and let Harry take over. Harry, go ahead. All right. Thank you, Mr. Producer. Uh, Most large airport terminals have a special place to help those with a heavy heart, and the article in the 1990 issue of Repartee tells of such a place. Mr. Producer, do you have that article for us? Yes, I do. Another article appeared in the 1990 repartee titled, A Special Place. Although it is small, there is a special, very special place in the terminal building of the Atlanta airport. And many of the Eastern Airlines personnel participate in its unique purpose. One of its many functions is to minister to the bereaved. A young woman in her early 30s was taken to the airport at Indianapolis by her elderly parents and was observed by the Eastern ticket agent as her parents waited to see her take off. After the plane departed with their daughter aboard, they left the airport, and as they entered the freeway in their pickup truck, they were involved in an automobile accident in which both were killed. As the scene of the accident was close by, word reached the eastern ticket agent who had seen them, the three of them, together. Through the alertness of the eastern personnel in Indianapolis, who had concluded that those killed were the young woman's parents, word was passed to the eastern personnel in Atlanta to meet her flight and advise her as to what had happened before her flight continued on to her destination, which was Jacksonville. The Eastern employees, who were familiar with the interfaith chapel, called on them for their aid in this sensitive matter. As the flight arrived in Atlanta, the Eastern employees notified the chaplaincy and the lady serving as volunteer chaplain met the flight and took the young lady into the chapel and informed her what had happened. With the compliments of Eastern Airlines, the chaplain was given free passage to accompany the young lady back to Annapolis, so she would not be alone in her hour of sorrow. As they waited the departure of the return flight, the volunteer chaplain provided comfort and ministered to her in the time of her tragic loss and continued with her back to Indianapolis, where the fatal accident had occurred. All of us who have participated in the air transportation industry are grateful to have such a special place as the Interfaith Chapel and a chaplaincy that can minister comfort when needed, as in this tragic situation described above. The chapel contains plaques honoring various people who are famous in the field of aviation. Through the donations of our reapings, At the Atlanta REPA luncheon, the necessary funds were raised to place a memorial plaque to Captain Eddie Rickenbacker in the chapel. Our REPAs are well represented on the board of directors of the Interfaith Chapel. You know, I've wondered, uh, do all, I guess all major airports, uh, you know, the larger ones, have these uh, chapels, I uh, don't know about the smaller ones, though. 
but um, I, I remember I know Jacksonville has one here, the Jacksonville International Airport. Don, you were at some of the smaller airports. Do you recall whether they all had uh, chapels? No, the uh, smaller ones didn't, but we had a uh, room <clears throat> in Miami uh, across from the Ionosphere Club. And it was uh, not a big room, but it was a, a room with some nice, comfortable chairs in it and uh, uh, a lav and washroom and stuff. Um, we didn't have to use it too much, as I recall. Uh, that's when I was a CSR in Miami, but um, we had that mishap with uh, uh, Flight 6 when it bellied into Miami, the, the Aircraft 101. Yeah, and we brought everybody back to the Ionosphere Club for that, and we the overflow we brought, put in this other little room. But other than that, uh, I, I didn't really encounter anything. It wasn't yeah. a chapel, but yeah. it was a little room that was quite private and very comfortable. Yeah. Well, we have one more to uh, read, and it's a very short one. Uh, Mike, how about it? Yes, uh, Captain Neal. Uh, Captain Bill Malone takes the space in the 1990 issue of Reaper T to address a few items about the magazine and his thoughts about the Eastern family of airmen and employees. Can you read about these comments Bill Malone's, Bill Mal uh, Captain Bill makes in the Reaper T, uh, Mr. Producer? Yes, a letter from Bill Malone, editor of the magazine. Here it is. And what better way to close our show today by a letter from the your editor Bill Malone its title and finally a message from your editor with the arrival of an early spring Atlanta is a riot of color having put on her prettiest dress the azaleas camellias forsythia and wisteria display an array of coral crimson lavender and white the boxwoods have taken on lush green. The dogwood trees, the railroad pullman, car white. It is intoxicating to see and a dramatic reminder of how precious our lives are as we enjoy our retirement years. Now that the pleasure of skiing, golf, and tennis are a thing of the past because the old ship has become creaky, your editor is enjoying less athletic pursuits with the benefits of a highly developed computer technology. In our quest for excellence, we have presented our grandchildren with our old model and moved to a more advanced and faster one. This was necessary because we had also upgraded to the new laser jet printer and its sophisticated capabilities required the additional speed along with a more intelligent word processing program. Now we offer the beauty of Times Roman print for our next for our text and Helvetica block print for titles and subtitles. There is no finer presentation available. Approaching age seventy, your editor felt that he owed it to himself to enjoy this pleasure. Pleasure it is indeed to have written this particular issue. To recall the war years has rekindled so many old memories of past and present friends.
After we asked for material for our issue, people responded by saying that they had remembered people they had not thought of for years. We had saddened we were saddened to recall those who did not come back. We were made acutely aware of how fragile our own lives are and how easily we might have been among those who failed to return. Each of us has realized how fortunate he was to obtain a position as pilot on Eastern Airlines at the close of World War II. And we are mindful of the happy years that followed as we pursued a productive and rewarding career. Our treasured associations with the Eastern Airlines captains we were privileged to fly with stays with us to this very day. They taught us their craft, then admired us for what we had learned from them. To have walked in the company of heroes, as did we as pilots with Eastern Airlines, was a privilege we cherish. It made us feel special. It gave us confidence in the discharge of our duties. It raised our personal esteem. Now, we have wonderful organization, REPA, the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, to continue this association and to enjoy this camaraderie of, of our group. Even though we are scattered all over the world, we come together each year at our annual conventions to continue the pursuit of our friendships. Eastern Airlines will always fill a warm spot in our hearts. Okay, that's our show. Hey, Captain Neal, I, I just wanted wanted to make mention, uh, you had mentioned in the letters a little bit earlier in the show about uh, Lou Feldberry, Captain Feldberry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever flew with him or not. He was New York-based, but... Uh, no. He he lived in New York and he was a good friend of my dad's and they were uh, they were golf buddies and like you said he was uh, he had these big boxing mitts on him for uh, and the flat nose and all that stuff from boxing because I remember him sitting around having cocktails in the uh, in the living room with my dad and he had two sons that both became pilots with uh, I believe U.S. Air or something like that 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 ever got on with Eastern. Uh, and then I think his oldest son was had something to do with uh, with Alpa for a while. Uh, yeah. I, I for, I've forgotten both of their names at the present time, but uh, I remember well, who he was. Uh, he was a he was a real nice gentleman, and he had a handshake that was like a, one of those sticking it in a vice. Well, you know, <laughs> Mike, uh, I met Gus Muirhead. Of course, he worked with Alpa for a long time, and I met him at one of the conventions. And shook his hand. I didn't know him personally, but I did have the pleasure of shaking his hand. And Gus had a huge hand, and he was a big man. And um, yeah, that, that I'm sure when he pointed that big old paw of his at that young paratrooper, uh, it uh, kind of <laughs> put him in his place. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we had some unique people, uh, unusual, uh, and I'm sure all airlines have those in all workplaces probably, uh, but it was uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun back in the day. Anything happen? Yeah, anything happened that you want to talk about uh, this past week? Well, we've pretty much all seen it on the TV. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't want to talk yeah. about it on the radio. <laughs> that's it. That's uh, it's uh, everything is in the blender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it got turned on too. <laughs> Did I hear Harry say something? <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think that was Don. Okay. Yeah, I just said the blender got turned on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I do see, uh, of course, everything in the country is in turmoil, but it looks like uh, the airline industry is headed for lots more layoffs in the near future. And that's what yeah. they said on the news, yeah. That's the sad part. Yeah. Well, I know most of my buddies that are, any of them that are, they're quite a bit younger than I am, but they're, uh, a lot of them got laid off and a lot of them took early retirements, the older ones. Yeah, yeah. that's a shame of it. A lot of people don't want to do that, but they're kind of forced to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they said United and, and between United and I think American, there were like 52 or 53,000 people laid off. That's wow. everybody, you know. That's pilots yeah. and ground crew and everybody. Right. And uh, you know, th- these people are going to be looking for work. And where the hell is the yeah. work? Yeah. You know, that's the problem right now. Uh, they're not doing much traveling, and those that are are restricted to certain areas, and they can't do this, and very, very difficult. Yeah. It well, I talk- pass eventually, but in the meantime, it's just hard to deal with. Yeah, I talked to my son who lives out in California. I've mentioned it before, and talked to him yesterday, and he said that uh, his wife is flying uh, in the right seat of a um, 600. I don't know uh, CR 600 or something like that. What is that airplane? A Canadian or yeah, regional jet? Yeah. Yeah, and and she's at the bottom of the list, so it's just a matter of time. I feel that she's probably going to uh, lose her job. How how is your son making out with the fires out there? He uh, he said it uh, wind shifted. They had a little rain and things quieted down, and they're still much north of uh, Napa uh, now, and so he's not getting much smoke where he is. He's 20 miles yeah. south of a little town called Napa. And, um, and, a lot and of your daughter's going to get clobbered again this weekend. Well, we're hoping that uh, it stays away. Yeah, what is it, what's the category now? I haven't even looked. It's, it's, a, it's a, going to be a three, a high two or a, a basic three when it hits uh, the shore. Uh, I think... Uh, Tomorrow morning or Saturday morning, I didn't see the whole thing. Is it still around the Texas-Louisiana border? It's, it's another order? bad one, you know. It's another bad one. So, yeah. But is it's it? so big and powerful that it affects a lot of people, yeah. not just where it goes in, yeah. as you know. Well, yeah, i tell you, I, I don't know. Uh, Jacksonville, we've been spared many a time. And everybody keep keeps saying that it's the little bend in the coastline uh as Jacksonville kind of as the state of Florida 
attaches to Georgia. There's a little bend right at Jacksonville. I don't know whether it has anything. I don't think it does with the, the force of a storm coming directly into our area, but we seem to have been that's wood I just knocked on. <laughs> it be, it's all fate. It's all under the category of fate. Fate is a hunter. Yep. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I guess the California fires, the only thing, uh, consolation now is they're all going to have smoke-flavored wine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would taste too good or not, unless <laughs> unless the smoke comes from a certain plant. Hello, boy. Smoke flavored wine. Yeah. Uh, uh, I guess it has burned up a lot of those fields out there. Have I haven't read anything yeah. about? Uh, I know that the little town of Napa has that restaurant there that. They say is very, very pot was very popular, and it was burned to the ground. Mm. Um, How sad. Yeah, really sad. Well, interesting show with all the interesting added, a uh, little uh, n- nuances that we had today. <laughs> Challenge to say the least. Don and Dorothy, I don't know about your telephone system or whether it's here or where it is, but. The others seem to hang on a little bit better, so I don't know what we're going to do about that. Well, it, uh, Captain Neal, does that have anything to do? Maybe I mean, I, I when I call you, I'm always calling calling you on a landline. Does that make uh, yeah, if anybody else is using a cell phone or something, that may be yeah. a you know interruption of signal? Are you? No, we're on a landline. They're on a landline, too. See, our, our system is one that we've used for quite a while. Uh, we're both on the same extension, but um, it hasn't impacted us at all for, well, since I've been on this, what is it, eight years, Neil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, well, we've been doing yeah, yeah. this for a long time, so that has nothing to do with it. But no, no. obviously there's something that's gone wrong in the last couple of months, and we don't understand what it is. You know, my my dad had a saying that he used to use, and he used to say that's what the guy said about his dog when it died. He says, you know, he never did that before. <laughs> <laughs> he played dead, but he, he never did that. <laughs> okay, with that, Mike, we're going to take it out of here. Don, how about saying what you got to yeah. say and passing it on to Dorothy? Yeah, well, you know, before we sign off, our host and webmaster and my lovely wife, Dorothy, has a few words to say about future shows. Go ahead, Dorothy. Okay. Uh, Let me tell you what the shows are coming up. We have on Monday our tribute to the World War One and Two Waves, and then followed by a music program. Then we're going to be talking later on in uh, the year about history of Washington National Airport. We have uh, Meteorology 101 coming up. We have the effects of COVID-19 on the airline. So we got several shows in the workings, and they'll all be posted on the website and uh, in our e-blast. Uh, we want to thank everyone for participating today in view of all the interruptions, and we are happy to continue providing Eastern Family 
but so many ways to keep the Eastern memory alive and connect with our friends and fellow employees almost daily. The latest news of the old and the new is brought to you on the EAL Radio Show website and by these broadcasts that we do twice weekly. We encourage you to add your voice and memories to the broadcast by calling in and sending to the website your comments so that the webmaster, B and me, uh, we can include those on the very popular website. Browse the many pages and you may catch up on news and photos from your Eastern colleagues or read exciting comments sent in to me. Back to you, Don. Thank you, Dorothy. And uh, folks, we'll see you again next week, same time, when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee as printed in the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association and other publications. And by the way, if you haven't visited our website, it's www.ealradioshow.com, and that's where you'll find many, many more great Eastern stories and memories. Until then, on behalf of all of our hosts, And our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying, so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. Love you, Eastern. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver Fading out of sight Silver wings Shining in the sun Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Slowly fading out of sight. I'm gonna fade out of sight too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> only, a, only an hour till happy hour. There you go. <laughs> See you you Monday. Hey, by the way, real quick, Monday's show is going to be a great one. I've really enjoyed uh, reading about uh, these gals that uh, were in World War I and World War II 
And yeah, um, I did too when I did the promo. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good show. Good show. All good. right, thanks a lot. Right, See you Monday. Get the rivet gun All out. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>